Hello and welcome to Pause Pop, positively pop culture, where we talk about things we love enthusiastically and without guilt. I'm K.W. Taylor. And I'm Carrie Gester. And today we're interviewing urban fantasy author J.L. Gribble. Yes, and this was a great talk, so let's get right to it. All right, today we are here with our friend and fellow author J.L. Gribble. So J.L., can you introduce yourself? Sure. I know Kathleen and Carrie through the Seton Hill University Writing Popular Fiction Program, though I graduated ages and eons before they did. (laughs) And I write urban fantasy with a healthy dose of alternate history and any other weird genre that comes to mind. And currently I'm working on the Steel Empire series. The first book is Steel Victory, which is coming, a revised version is coming out this summer on July 15th, but there are five books available in the series so far. Awesome. So when the first book came out originally, what year did that come out? That originally came out in 2015, and I've been publishing a book every summer ever since. But obviously, in that time, I've learned even more about writing than I did in grad school. And so my editor offered me the opportunity to publish an updated version. So I cleaned up the text a little bit. The story, the characters, everything really important is still exactly the same. So it's awesome if you want to read it, but you don't have to. But we are also including bonus features in this new version with a bonus long short story, not quite a novella, not quite a short story, about how two of the main characters originally met, and also a nonfiction essay about the history of the main city in my series. So that's kind of the incentive for people to check out the new version. Awesome. That's very cool. So writing a book every year, that's, that's impressive and daunting. Is that a personal (laughs) goal? Or is it something did you feel like that was something your publisher who is also my publisher, but was that something that you felt they were encouraging you to do? Or was that your idea? It was all my idea. And it was really just because I didn't want to publish the first book and then not be productive until I got around to doing the second one. So when I got the original publication date of June 2015 for Steel Victory was about a year in advance. And I decided, you know what, I'm going to have a first draft of the sequel submitted to my editor before that date. And that's just kind of how I've been doing it ever since is that every summer, when I have a book out, the goal is to have a pretty solid first draft of the next book to my editor. Things have gotten a little hinky this year for reasons. (laughs) And so I'm kind of glad that I'm taking this year um, to just relaunch the series. I apologize to my readers. I know some people are mad because it means an extra year until the next full-length book. But hopefully... The last two books in the series will make up for the extra weight. Well, I think that producing a whole kind of new definitive version of the first book is still a really good present to your readers. So I don't think they should be too upset. I'm excited to read a new version of it. I think that's really cool. The only other example I can think of something like that is like Stephen King has revised his stuff and put out expanded versions. So that's really, that's really neat. Honestly, I got the idea from one of my favorite authors of all time, Catherine Acero, has also done that with some of her first books. 
I know other people have done it, but my personal inspiration for this was Catherine Asaro releasing updated author's preferred copies of some of the first books in her Scolian Empire series. Cool. Hmm. So you described multiple genres of this series. What's like your elevator pitch for the series if somebody is curious about picking this up? Because it is a little bit hard to describe all of the different elements of it. Overall, I, I settled on all non-traditional urban fantasy. I take a lot of the really common urban fantasy tropes, which are a single female main character, written in first person, overarching romantic subplot in a world where the paranormal exists, but only special people know about it. And I do absolutely none of that. In fact, <laughs> I do the opposite of all of that. I have multiple main characters. The primary two are both women, um, but they're a mother and daughter. So there's also that facet of the relationship. None of this, you know, lone hero stuff. All of my heroes have solid support systems. The supernatural exists, but the world has always known about it, which is why there's also a, you know, a healthy dose of alternate history thrown in. And for the most part, just because it was preference, I write in third person. Mm-hmm. And so you've got this mother-daughter relationship. Can you tell us a little bit about, like, at least in the first book, what's the main setup of that? The main setup of that is I went to grad school young, and I had feelings about mother-daughter relationships, and it has definitely come out in my writing over the years, um, to the point that one of the books in the series is even dedicated to my mother, my stepmother, and my mother-in-law, because they've all been great inspiration and influences on my writing and me as a person. So cool. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit more about the actual alternate history part? I apologize, but it has been a little while since I've, I've read it. But basically, it's sort of the Roman and British colonized the new world. And it kind of grew from there. Is that right? Yes and no. So I I give a a lecture on the alternate history genre, so I can get really specific into the nitty gritty of how my book fits into the genre of alternate history. But in broad terms, my stories are what are considered a true alternate history rather than a nexus point to alternate history. In a nexus point to alternate history, you can point at one event and point at the exact change that spawned the new timeline. In a true alternate history, either the turning point was so long ago or so broad that like elements of the world are familiar, but it's obviously not our world. In my case, it's because magic and elves and werewolves and were-dragons and mages all exist and have never been hidden from anyone, so it's not a, a secret fantasy. They have lives, and they're open in society. And in my world, the Roman Empire has hung around because the majority of the Senate is made up of vampires. And when you have people with that long of a memory, they're not going to give up power easily. But the reason I also have the British Empire is because when the Romans tried to colonize the British Isles, uh, the werewolf clans banded together and said, nope, we're not having any of that. And so that's one of the primary conflicts that inspires the events that occur in Steel Victory. Gotcha. That's cool. So how did you sit down to decide you wanted to do an alternate history? What's the attraction that you feel to to this subgenre? I like looking at what might have been 
I read alternate history from across the spectrum, um, both the kind of nexus point stuff. Obviously, the common examples are the South wins the Civil War or the Nazis win World War II. Um, and there are some great examples of those. The appeal that alternate history has for me is kind of the same as any speculative fiction. If speculative question asks the question, what if, alternate history asks what might have been. And that's always appealed to me from really specific alternate histories to the really broad hand wavy stuff like what I write. <laughs> so how, does that require a lot of research, I would imagine, into, I, I mean, I wouldn't even know. I've done, I've done things that are sort of based on splitting time, not quite a nexus point alternate history, but that would be much more like what I do. But trying to, to research something that would have taken place so far back in history that it's almost just always been there. How do you approach your research process? I'm not one of those writers who does a ton of research before I outline the book. I outline the book and then figure out where my characters need to be and what they're using. And then I figure out if those things might be different or not in terms okay. of whether it's renaming something or the thing might not exist. Mm. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I do want the world to be familiar enough that if you are familiar with the place, even if I've renamed it, I still want the reader to be familiar with it. So if, a if my characters are in my version of Paris, um, the Tour Eiffel still exists. Um, and I think I even call it that. But then in my version of Washington, D.C., which is not called Washington, D.C., my character sees a monument dedicated to the original governor general of the colony. And it's mm. obviously the Washington Monument. Okay. <laughs> That's cool. What's an example of something that you, that you did have to do a little research into? Women's clothing. In my time travel book, I sent my characters back to kind of the equivalent of the 19, early 1940s in our mm. timeline. And that was when I had to do the most solid research in terms of what women would have had access to in terms of the things my character wanted to do. And all of a sudden, she's in a society that doesn't accept her for who she is. Mm. Interesting. Clothing is one of those elements in time travel that I think some readers might think, oh, why is that even important? But it is deeply important because it matters how people can move and how they interact with their space. And Yeah, shoes and bras. Shoes and bras are a thing. <laughs> <laughs> shoes for sure. I had to do, I had a thing set in the 60s and I had to think about what someone's shoes on a certain kind of ground would have been like and, and feel. So yeah, absolutely. Well, if anything, I, like I love this series and I love writing alternate history, but I'm really excited to write about near future sci-fi within the next few years where Ooh. I can kind of play with technology a little bit, but like everything else is exactly the way we already know about it because sometimes <laughs> that's a lot easier to write about. True, true. Absolutely. So that's your plan. So how many more books of the current series do you have projected? The complete series is going to be seven books. Book six is currently in revisions, and I just have to write book seven. So with okay. any luck, those awesome. will all be out within the next two years. And then I'm going to do something completely different because I want to write about UFOs and aliens. Awesome. Yeah. I don't remember this just from talking to you, but 
Have you had time to even think about any other little side projects during writing this series? I've written um, a few short stories. One of them I will probably end up publishing for free sometime this summer as another incentive for people to check out the new version of Steel Victory. I'm not really a short fiction writer, so I know a lot of novelists who also submit to short stories to places all the time, and that's not me. I've gotten invited to a couple anthologies, and for various reasons that really nobody's at fault, things just haven't worked out. So I have a couple things also set in the Steel Empire's universe floating around, and I have ideas for other short fiction, like short stories and novella length that I want to work on. So I want to write my UFO book, and then I would like to try to get an agent with that. Hey, if any agents hear this, but <laughs> you won't have a manuscript for like two years, so forget I even said that. Uh, <laughs> but obviously that will take, you know, either no time at all or forever and a half because the publishing industry is weird. Um, so I might consider pulling together a collection set in the Steel Empires series. Cool. That's very cool. Yeah. So you kind of joked about an agent, but I think that aspiring writers who might be listening would be interested to know that you've got this long running book series, but you don't have an agent. That's true. That is one of the perks of working for a small publisher, both in terms of I did not have a need to have an agent to submit to them. And also, as you can kind of tell from this conversation and the fact that I said straight out, I write non-traditional urban fantasy because I work with a publisher that is known for breaking genre rules, I have a lot more freedom with the stories that I want to tell. Yeah, that's definitely a benefit of working with a small press. And I, I've also appreciated that process as well. But yeah, if you want to branch out and work with another publisher, sometimes that getting an agent is necessary and can be kind of daunting. But, but that's also a process that if you have proven yourself in small presses, that certainly that can be parlayed and has been by other people. So absolutely. Yeah, at this point, with the way the publishing world works and has been evolving, I make no assumptions. Right. You know, I, I have hopes, but I haven't made any plans because you can't really plan um, because ultimately it is circumstances and luck and being in the right place at the right time. Mm -hmm. Well, do you have any books or movies or other pop culture that you're super enjoying right now that you want to tell people about? Sure. So back in 2006, I started playing this video game. <laughs> I started playing it as a reward system while I was in grad school. If I got all my writing done for the day, I could play more of this video game. And then I graduated <laughs> and I kept playing the video game. I played it a lot. And then my husband and I, oh, I got married during this time and my husband went to Afghanistan and I was like, if I keep playing this video game while he's in Afghanistan, this is going to be a problem. So in 2012, <laughs> I quit playing this video game. And earlier this year, some friends of mine started playing it again. So I started playing World of Warcraft right before the pandemic and my timing was perfect. <laughs> <laughs> What kind of character do you play? I play a night elf hunter. I consider myself equally ally and horde. Um, this character has actually bounced around servers and factions. Currently, she is a night elf hunter, marksmanship. And I had resisted getting back into the game for a long time because there have been significant changes. 
But at the same time, it's, it's been really interesting getting back in because I think some of the changes are really positive for a player like me who genuinely just wants to go in and play in a make-believe world. Because all of the negative things that happened while I played before had to do with having to play with other players in the game. But because of how technology has changed, you're no longer limited to only interacting with people at your level on your server. So there used to be a lot of pressure to join a guild, and that could be really awesome or really terrible. I had both experiences over the years that I played, but the way it works now, you don't have to be in a guild, and you can still do stuff with your friends, no matter what server or level they're on. And it's really been awesome. Cool. That sounds great, yeah. And then the other thing that I'm doing right now, because of the pandemic, is I am reading all of the romance novels. <laughs> a good choice. Is there a specific subgenre of romance that you're reading a lot of? A lot of queer romance, a lot of paranormal romance, a lot of queer paranormal romance, a lot of historical and or queer paranormal romance. <laughs> But mostly it's all <laughs> romance because I'm guaranteed a happy ending. <laughs> yes, that's very important. This was months ago, but you blogged about the Wittershins series and by Jordan L. Hawk, and I got sucked into those. And so thank you for reading those because they're, <laughs> they're very fun and silly and hit all those elements that you mentioned. So yeah. So here's the thing. Jordan L. Hawk has written a ton of books, and I am still not oh. done with all of his books. And I even... <laughs> I am still making my way through his back catalog to the point that I, uh, one of my reviews of his books went up today, and of course I tweeted about it, and he always says thanks, and I tweeted back, you are going to get so tired of being tacked because I am nowhere close to done. <laughs> 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 and they have all been amazing. Jordan L. Hawks writes the Wittershin series. He also has a contemporary queer urban fantasy series with demons and demon hunters that is really awesome called the specter series they have a whole witch and familiars police procedural series set in turn of the century oh, wow. turn of the 20th century i have to be specific now new york city yeah lots of great stuff yeah i actually i was so blown away when i started reading his books about how prolific he is that i actually made a spreadsheet about how quickly he writes novels and was like could I ever get to this point? And it was it was like impossible. He puts out a book every like three months. It's I know, crazy. it's ridiculous. I'm not complaining, but it's ridiculous. <laughs> no, yeah, yeah. And I'm sure I don't I don't know, but I'm pretty sure that's probably his only job at this point. So I wanna that would be a nice point to get to. Yeah. And then the other author that I just discovered discovered. I, for some reason, I had the first book in the series on my Kindle. I have no idea when or why I bought it. And so I was just going through the Kindle looking for the next book to read. I have a lot of books on my Kindle. <laughs> um, and sometimes when I'm like, why do I even have this? I'll go to Goodreads and I'll just glance, like not even read, but just kind of glance at the top reviews. And the very first review complained that everyone in the book seemed to be bisexual. And I was like, well, damn straight, I'm reading this now. Um, and that was Sierra Simone's uh, Lesson in Thorns, uh, the Thorn Chapel series. And I read all three of those books in four days and cried a lot. And they were amazing. So then I promptly read another of Sierra Simone's series 
And now I'm going down the rabbit hole of what other books can I find like these? Mm. So yeah, more crazy queer fantasy, except she's like more magical realism than fantasy. And as a fantasy author, I never actually understood magical realism, despite taking a college class on it, still never understood it until I read the Thorn Chapel series. So it's pretty awesome. Oh, What is it about that series that sort of clarified that genre for you? I'm curious. Just the way the fantasy element interacts with everything else that's going on and the characters and the relationships between the characters and the relationships between the characters and their environment, especially. I think it was the environment thing that really finally pinged for me how to really appreciate it. Hmm. Cool. Meanwhile, if Jason Jack Miller ever listens to this, he's going to like come beat me over the head with his murder ballots and whiskey series, <laughs> which I've read and enjoyed. And he'll be like, you fi- <laughs> oh, finally you get it. <laughs> <laughs> Are you so it's mostly mostly that you're reading a lot? Are there other things that you're doing during this during this time of consuming more media at home? My my spouse just finished his semester of college and he's taking the summer off and his favorite video game while I'm on the couch playing World of Warcraft, he's at his computer playing Civilization, and he found a YouTuber who makes who records and publishes playthroughs of civilization games. And he's just this really kind of nice, goofy, quirky Irish guy who does YouTube videos under the name Potato McWhiskey. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And his videos are just so zen to listen to. Eric started listening to them because he was learning a lot about civilization. But I have found that just like hanging out and reading or playing playing World of Warcraft and he it's just entertaining enough that you know everyone like especially listening to him interact with chat which we can't see the way we watch the videos oh but just the the comments and his voice and his accent not going to lie <laughs> um, what what is that thing people are always talking about like the 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 nice noises oh ASMR yeah, yeah. It's like, for some reason, the this Irish guy playing Civilization are my husband and I's ASMR. <laughs> that sounds, it actually sounds like I should check that out because I love to play Civilization. And I do love a nice, like, gentle audio track. So that sounds great. <laughs> it, I wouldn't say it's gentle. Like, sometimes oh, he gets okay. really irate at the game. Sometimes he gets, like, kind of irate at people in chat. But he's never mad. And it's always uh-huh. funny. Oh. So it's not like... You want to listen to it while you're falling asleep, but if you want to just like feel like you're not just alone in your house, like I am, like all the time now because I work from home now. Yeah, you know it's fun. That sounds really good. Yeah, cool, awesome. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, World of Warcraft, romance novels, and an Irish YouTuber. That's that's how I'm living my life right now. An eclectic mix. That's very good. Thank you so much, JL, for appearing. And it's funny, the last time both of us saw you in person was at Pulp Fest in Pittsburgh. And that was the convention that Carrie and I had the idea for this podcast at. So that's true. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Before we go, JL, where can people find you on online? So I have all of my information along with my blog, where all of these books that I've talked about, I review all of them at jlgribble.com. And you can also find me on social media, 
at Hana, H-A-N-N-A edits, which is my Twitter handle and Instagram, Hana edits. Great. Thank you. Fantastic. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. You're welcome. It was a lot of fun. So that was great. It is always great to talk with JL. That was wonderful. And next time, we're going to have a special 90s TV episode with some super fun interviews. So we hope you enjoy that. Our theme music is by Joseph McDade. You can find me on Twitter at KWTaylorWriter. And you can find me at Carrie Gessner. And you can find us both together on Twitter at PausePopPodcast. If you'd rather email us, you can do that at PositivelyPopCulture at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, stay healthy and safe, and join us next time for another episode of Pause Pop. Pause Pop.